Okay, welcome back to sunny Oxford. It's good to see all of you again. Um, the person who's speaking today may not need much introduction for many, if not all of you, but he'll get an introduction all the same. I'm um, very happy to welcome back Stanley Eliashek. He's been on sabbatical for the last four months, five months in Australia. And I was trying to remember exactly where you were based, but it sounds like you spent most of the sabbatical crisscrossing Australia, millions of meetings, data sets, who knows? So, uh, so uh, lots going on. Not exactly uh, an easy, restful sabbatical by the sounds of it, but also giving us some time to think about some ideas that were probably um, in gestation before he left. So I'm really looking forward to this presentation today on networks on, and obesity, since Thanks. he's the, the first presentation back. So welcome back. Thank you. Um, well, well, first of all, just, I had to do a report on my sabbatical. It was a kind of punctuated sabbatical. I spent most of it actually in a shed. It was a Wi-Fi shed, but I spent most of it in the shed when I was writing, and that was good. Um, it was the first time in a long time I've been able to do that, and that was very productive. You know, you take yourself out from the rest of the world, so that was good. When I wasn't doing that, I was accumulating MRs. So, uh, <laughs> between Canberra, Adelaide, Melbourne, Perth, and, and so on. So, great fun. Anyway, what I want to talk about is <coughs> uh, networks and obesity. And... Uh, um, and an experiment, if you will, and I'm just saying to Sam that this seminar is not complete, this presentation isn't complete because I was working on it up until 5 to 1, so it's still in gestation, if you will, so I'm a little bit nervous. Anyway, I've been to Australia. Um, I think it's important to try and link all the things in your life into some kind of meaningful structure. Um, even if nobody else can, can, can see the meaning to it. Anyway, this was the day after Boxing Day, the Boxing Day test. Anybody who knows cricket will know that this is the most iconic place on the planet. Boxing Day cricket in Melbourne is the most iconic event in cricket on the planet. And this place is like the Colosseum, basically. It seats over 100,000 people, and it gets filled. That's South Africa batting down there and, and, and Australia fielding for, for anybody who's interested. So what I'm going to try and do across this hour is link the Melbourne cricket ground to colanders and obesity. Or not. And... Also, I think something that is very topical, this is from yesterday, I was in London yesterday, this is one of the free newspapers, um, and, uh, and swine flu. Uh, what links all of these things? Well, um, networks, obviously, because that's the title of the talk, so you know that's where I'm going to go. Um, this is a, <coughs> a social network from the Framingham Heart Study in which... Um, uh, Christakis and Fowler, <coughs> now um, in 2007, had constructed a social network and um, related this to um, obesity across the period. Well, this is the year 2000, but they went back to the early 1970s. So, Framingham Heart Study, one of the biggest um, uh, prospective, uh, uh, prospective studies um, uh, on uh, cardiovascular disease risk in the United States. Framingham is in Massachusetts. The people in Framingham in the 1970s, um, many of them are no longer in Framingham. As happens, people migrate, people move, and so on. And the point about the Christakis model was that 
you know, of course, the fatter blobs are the fatter people. These represent different kinds of, uh, 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 different kinds of linkages. These linkages are, 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 are social linkages. Uh, the blue ones represent friendship or marriage. Orange represents, uh, 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 orange represents a familial tie of another kind. Um, and, uh, but this was as far as it went, really. Um, Christakis, who's a network uh, modeler at, uh, uh, at Harvard, um, has now moved on to happiness and, and, and a networking of happiness uh, with, with the Framingham data. And, uh, and people have said, well, social networks and obesity, yes, they're clear, they're important, but other than the kind of glib report from the New York Times, which said, was, which said something like, <clears throat> want to avoid obesity? Find thin friends. That's, that, was, that was close enough to the headline, wasn't it? Really, I don't know anybody who's taken this any further beyond, hey, this is interesting. The interesting thing about this is that, yes, your friends, you know, you, because by association you will do things similarly to them. But these include friends who've drifted apart um, in terms of distance. So it, doesn't, it includes great geographical separation. Some of these people are in California, for example. Some of these people are overseas. But because, you know, by, these include people that uh, people have regular social contact with through various means, as one does these days, through Facebook and S, MSN, and etc. Um, my daughter's a good case of that. She's a socially connected to the UK from 12,000 miles away, almost as she would have been should she, should she have stayed in the UK. She's treated Australia as just an opportunity to make a whole bunch of other new friends. Um, of course, I know things will drop off the edge at some stage. I know, I know. It's okay. Social brain's way up there. Don't, don't worry. <coughs> so... Um, Talking about social networks, I've got a debt of gratitude to two people. Um, one is Stefan Kreutzer, who's in the computer lab here at the University of Oxford, who said, um, do you want to think about small world networks? And the second person is Johanna Hermanusen, who is um, just finished a PhD, and she's the daughter of a good friend of mine, and, and uh, she's at the Department of Mathematics in the University of Hamburg. Um, and she said, well, you know, actually, there is stuff you can play with out there. And so, um, and so, a play I did. So, in my shed, I played. <coughs> so, what is it about small world networks? Describe what they are. Basically, um, there's a uh, Watts <coughs> produced a book on on six levels of separation, and that is we're all connected to the American president by something like six degrees of separation. Um, one degree of separation. <coughs> for your understanding is this, okay? <coughs> so, I know Haley, and there's somebody else in the room I don't know, yeah, uh, and Haley knows, what's your name? Sonia. Sonia. Haley knows Sonia, so that's one degree of separation. I'm linked to you via, by Haley, so that's one degree of se separation. <coughs> now, the person next to you, <coughs> do you know them? Yes. You do. Someone who you don't know. Say this person down the front. Let's. Okay, Sonia meets Stephen. <coughs> Assume I don't know Stephen. Complete stranger. Two degrees of separation. I'm linked to Stephen through Haley, through Sonia to Stephen. So that's that's two degrees of separation. Um, the interesting thing about both obesity and happiness is that 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 um, that 
Obesity seems to, be con con seems to be contagious across three degrees of separation. The approach I'm going to use is going to be, in a sense, a contagion model, and I run a contagion model, as one would with an infectious disease. So I'm using a small words model to model um, the contagiousness of obesity, if you will, in a hypothetical community. And the whole point about this is not, it's not real data, it's just a thinking device. That's all I want it to be. Um, what examples of small world networks, film actors, for example, the ones that are top, at the top know each other because they've worked on movies together. And you can measure um, their linkage, their clustering, if you will, through a, mathematically through a clustering coefficient, the extent to which um, they know each other either directly or through one degree or two degrees or three degrees of separation. Because in Hollywood, you know, the degree of clustering is incredible. Um, but just by using um, a do, 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 where is it here? the internet movie database, um, you could construct a social network of film actors. So they're in, you know, they live in a small world. Power grids are a different kind of small world. Ultimately, you know, the UK power grid is uh, is a small world because um, it operates in a. a, 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 a uh, <clears throat> a cluster of uh, networks that are connected by generators, transformers, and substations, which are, you know, relatively small in number. Without that small world network, we would have more power outages in this country than we do. The fact that we do have a, 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 a that kind of that kind of network, it means it's an incredibly efficient network, which you can do in a small country geographically with a huge population base. You could do that in Japan. It's more difficult in the U.S., except in some portions. Okay, so... <clears throat> um, the spread of obesity in the social network, Christakis and Fowler. Uh, this is 1975. This is the year 2000. 1975. This group of people is actually atypical of the American population. That's the first thing. So when we're looking at, the, looking at this, this network, there isn't a direct comparison you can make with the general American population. These guys are a lot healthier than the average American. Um, I don't know if living in Massachusetts helps. Um, I've never lived in Massachusetts. I've spent time there. But um, it's a, it's a different, slightly different uh, demographic to the average American demographic. Um, but what is clear is that in this social network, there are people that drop out of the main body of the network, if you will, and a cluster like this, for example, a bunch of non-obese people that have kind of distanced themselves from the main network here and here. And here's a tight cluster of people who are, um, many of whom are obese. And if you look at this, you've got here, for example, two degrees of separation between that person and that person, one degree of separation between that one and that one, for example, one degree those three and that one. The other place where this stuff is used a lot is uh, HIV networking also, <clears throat> where you'd be horrified to know that most of you are two degrees of separation in this country from somebody who's HIV positive um, if you live in an urban centre, but uh, useful if you want to be scared. Um, so the Christakis model, it tells us that obesity is geographically extended, this network is geographically extended. Um, it's to do with the construction of social environments. There's probably an element of social selection in this. Um, and it also stresses the importance of communication. That's as far as it goes. I want to add two other pieces to this, uh, which is 
Um, can we think about the social transmission of obesity? Can we think about obesity using a contagion model? Um, so, to the US, because I'm, all the modeling I'm going to do is going to use um, uh, US data um, as the kind of baseline numbers before I get to sort of crank the handle on the, on the small world's network. One thing we know about the US is that obesity rises, rises, continues to rise, and continues to rise, and continues to rise, despite everybody knowing what superficially causes it. So here, 1985, no data, probably very little obesity, and by the time we get to the year um, 2000, these three states, Arkansas, tell me what those states are, guys. Down there. Good Americans, tell me. What? Okay, those are the obesity capitals these days. Um, with uh, more than 30% of the population being so-called clinically obese. I'm not worried about, you know, these you know, exact, uh, you know, whether, whether these numbers actually represent um, true levels of obesity. The marker is the same across this period, and it, it rises and rises and rises. Put it in another way, um, these are the number of states with given ranges of obesity, when you get to the year 2007, we're on a different scale. Basically, this scale here starts there. So, really, um, all of this is shifted upwards. It's a really dramatic uh, rise in obesity. Things are stabilizing and things are changing more recently, but it's been an extremely dramatic one. Okay, this is the kind of anchor to the data, if you will, to, to, to the model that I use. Um, and this is um, real data uh, from the three NHANES surveys. So it's, it's, a, it's a, I don't know the exact numbers. I'm sure Neil may have an idea of the thousands involved in this. But it's a big, it's probably the biggest data set that's available and, and supposedly nationally representative. And it stratifies by socioeconomic status. And of course, by the 1970s, a social class inversion of obesity has already happened in the US. So it's already... Um, middle and low social class have 60% higher obesity rates than people of, 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 of higher social class. That ratio I'm going to come back to because I'm going to see whether we can use a contagion model to explain the social class, ratio, the ratio between high, and high, middle and low social class in terms of obesity rates. Um, and that, maybe it declines a little bit in more recent times, but it, it's not something that disappears. Among females, it was extremely pronounced in the, in, the 19, in the 1970s, and it's come down to levels that are quite similar to the males by, the, by 1999, uh, in the year 2000. <coughs> okay, this is, the, uh, this is the Christakis model again, 1975, 1980, 1990, and the year 2000. Um, what I'm going to do is, is, for illustration's sake, make some comparisons between these Christakis models and some of the stuff I, I crank up. Um, criticisms of the Christakis model, Tambolini and Catiano in, uh, in Turin, um, uh, are uh, uh, network, uh, 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 network mathematicians, and they criticize this uh, model because it doesn't stratify by socioeconomic status. The Christakis model really doesn't disaggregate. And yet we know that people stratify themselves. They choose who their friends are. They choose how, uh, uh, who they will assort with. Um, 
But there's a problem because a socioeconomic status stratification really assumes that people live in contained boxes where they mix and assort with the people of that they perceive of the same status as them and not with others. And yet, real life isn't like that. Real life is a little bit more nuanced than that. So we have problems with the, the socioeconomic stratification issue. With respect to degrees of separation, we can see that um, one and two degrees of separation is a powerful effect. It continues to be a powerful effect. So um, Haley through Sonia through Stephen, two degrees of separation. We, even if we don't know each other, if I only know Haley, you know, etc., um, uh, are a powerful linkage in the transmission of obesity. So the thinking is that um, what constitutes these networks? How do they work? We can see the three degrees of separation. We can see that it's powerful at the beginning, but then there are geographical issues that make that less convincing. People move away, and therefore you stop asking about, oh, how so-and-so, and how so-and-so, and, and, and the, you know, that, that kind of uh, uh, that, uh, relationship disintegrates. Um, social network theory, just, I'm going to keep it to pictures. Um, <clears throat> and just give a, a, a very brief description of how the whole thing, how the whole thing works. Um, within a, these represent, uh, each of these will represent an individual. In this case, this would represent, um, let's say, let's say we all know each other now, Haley, myself, Sonia, Stephen. And so we all know each other, so we sit in this very tight uh, title box where you know, we have linkages to everybody. In this particular instance, everybody knows everybody else within this, within, within this grouping. But we can manipulate this such that you know, half the people know each other, or a quarter of the people know each other, or a third of the people know each other. And by manipulating that, I can, I can divide this up in a way that um, half of these people don't talk to each other. That would be high class, low class, if you will. I can divide this in a way that we divide into three, high, middle, and low. I can put marks, I can put linkages across high to middle, middle to low. So I can say, well, if one person from this class knows somebody else from that class, how contagious does obesity become if we start from one person? Um, duh, 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 duh. Okay, this is the really cool book that if you're interested, nobody has time, but if you're interested, uh, it's worth having a look at. Um, because this is um, elaborates all of this in a very readable way, in a very popular way. Um, the uh, Watts Struggett Small World Model. Um, Watts is a, a network mathematician at Columbia. Uh, so, the science of a connected edge. Um, it's important because uh, we can think of social structure where we privilege place, where we privilege community. But increasingly, we have social structures that are uh, influenced or even driven by the technologies that we use. So we can maintain our social structures across huge distances, as the majority of people in this room know. You know, I'm guessing that the majority of people in this room are not from Britain. And the majority of those, those people um, are 
you know, all of you are in regular contact with people somewhere else and maintaining links to a social structure somewhere else. Um, so it acknowledges that in a connected age, we shouldn't be thinking about communities quite specifically. We should be thinking about ways in which people connect over, uh, uh, over great uh, uh, geographical distances. Okay. Um, this is the thing. This is what made me think about the Melbourne Cricket Ground. Um, because once you, uh, you see this kind of uh, circular system um, where the mathematics are, the mathematics of linkages across different pieces of that. So you can start off with um, a, uh, infecting one person, if you will, and then the model just randomly um, throws out infection. You can decide the infection rate. It doesn't really matter what that is because it's not a time-constrained model. Um, but then, you know, if there's a linkage across here, it'll infect there. And because it's infected that person, then randomly they'll infect that person. So it doesn't kind of just flow out from that person immediately. It will flow out into different places. And the really cool thing about this is when you've got your model, you just press a button to crunch it all down to a beautiful kind of, kind of structure like the, like the Christakis stuff. So you can generate thousands of those and have great fun, if you wish. Um, okay, this is what I did, um, very briefly. Um, I took a step at looking at social contagion of obesity um, by social class using the American picture, asking the first question, can a social contagion model explain the social inversion of obesity? Most countries have been something that people of higher class, higher caste, um, were more likely, a high proportion were more likely to be obese than people of, of, of lower socioeconomic status. And at some stage in most societies, certainly industrialized societies, that has flipped. And to my knowledge, there is no good explanation of how and why um, that flipping has happened. It's something that we need to know because there are places on the world where that flipping hasn't happened yet. India, for example, where obesity rates are rising dramatically, but it's very much a middle-class, upper-middle-class phenomenon. If India carries on with its economic miracle, which, you know, given the present economic downturn, may make it take, may, 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 it may take longer, but if that happens at some stage, there will be a social class inversion. And yet, in the US, in the UK, across Europe, where we have data on obesity, we've simply described it, that it's happened. And nobody's gone back historically to look at how that inversion has happened. That's a big problem because there are places on the planet where that hasn't happened. So it's, it's important to know. <coughs> okay, open source software um, constructed by Wilensky at Evanston um, in uh, University of Illinois. It's called the NetLogo Small Worlds Model. <coughs> can be found there. Um, um, you use um, uh, uh, the kind of uh, a ring with, um, I put in 500 individuals. You set the parameters, and then you run random infection iterations until the model's stable. That is, it can't really go any further in terms of the connectedness within that model, um, or it reaches a known level of obesity. So, for example, I say, I'm going to infect this population with obesity to 30%, which would be the year 2000 level, or to 12%, which would be the 1970s level. And then I can see who's connected to who at 12% levels of obesity, who's connected to, to, to whom at 30% levels of obesity. And then, um, because it's a random model, each one comes out differently. So 
Um, when we get on to the later stuff, I've run iterations, 15 iterations in this case. I could do a lot more, of course, but it starts to give you a probabilistic picture of you know, what, uh, what, uh, uh, what, the, what the relationships are. Okay, starting with, um, this is the Christakis uh, data for, 19, uh, for, 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 for the year 2000. I've just flipped one of those things on its side, if you will. And what I've done is I've taken um, the, um, the Wang and they do um, uh, data and said low SES is 13%, high SES is, is 26%, and just run um, a small world's model. You start off with one individual, and then this starts to ping about all over the place. And when it uh, reaches 13 uh, percent, uh, 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 I've stopped it. And then I've folded it. And again, I've let this one run to 28 percent, and then I've folded it. And what's interesting to me, and I'm, this may be wishful thinking, probably is, hey? Is, is that um, at the two levels you come, you come, out, you come out with, with two different patterns. Now I'm imposing my will upon this and saying that um, the low SES pattern is something that is much more centrally clustered whereas the high SES pattern here is more peripherally clustered. So a question, I mean I haven't demonstrated this but you know the thing to do would be to persuade Nick Christakis to go back to the programming data and say, can we stratify this by social class? And can we, can we see whether indeed we are getting a kind of core and periphery uh, model of, uh, of, of, of obesity and obesity transmission? So that's, that, that's the first thing. But at least modeling it allows us to see whether we, we are actually finding different kinds of, different kinds of, uh, uh, different kinds of pattern. Okay. Um, yeah. So once you fold it together, isn't that just um, why do you fold it together? Well, just for the sake of just for the sake of visualization, because this will crunch it down. You have something that that is visually similar to similar to uh, to the Christakis model. Mm -hmm. You don't have to fold it, but it's it's it, it helps with the visualization. Okay, uh, then I did stuff which, in retrospect, is a no-brainer, but uh, I'll show it anyway. Um, can small world networks explain social class inversion of obesity rates in the US? You start off with an individual, and they have no linkages, high social class, low social class. You run it, and of course, you get what you'd expect. People of high class can just infect each other. So the colander has no holes in it, if you will. Um, so. If social class is something that's rigidly stratified, then, um, then you wouldn't expect to get um, uh, contagion across social classes. But then a question I would ask is, you know, our society is actually stratified in a porous manner. I'll cut to the real point when we get, to, when we get closer to the end. And I'd argue yes. Um, I'd argue yes, a number of different... Uh, okay, slightly porous, it still makes no effect. Um, if you set this up in a, in a way where you've got high, middle, and low, um, again, you come out with, 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 with data that um, shows that obesity rates 
don't diffuse in a straightforward <coughs> way that could cause a, a social class inversion. So I'll get on to, I'll, I'll move away from that because nothing happened. But if we get on to the porousness idea, I've just called it social porousness. There's probably a proper technical term for it, um, but it, it seems appropriate because I was cooking pasta at the time and I had a colander. <clears throat> to model social porousness, you can say, well, it involves one person in a hundred, and so you can put in, you know, appropriate number of ties. In this case, it would be it would be five ties, five in a population of, of five hundred, <coughs> and you have one infected people, and then you can run the model. Social porousness one in twenty, then you have um, uh, you have five times as many ties. Um, then you have an additional four times as many ties if it's one person in five. Suggesting, I could ask you a question which I don't know what the answer to because it's very un-PC, which is, if you have a sense of your social status, how many of your friends, what proportion of your friends, let's say, as in 1 in 10, 1 in 50, 1 in 100, are of a different social class to you? They don't have to be close friends. They have to be people that <coughs> you know well enough to you know, inquire about their health. Put that number in your head somewhere. I mean, don't do it if you don't want to. But um, So running this kind of, this kind of scheme, um, ran this 15 times. So you start off with uh, levels of uh, obesity that were common in 1971, 74. Um, and uh, no, you start up with, with one individual and then you run it until you reach the levels of obesity that were in 1971, 74. And then look at the proportion of people that fall into these segregated classes, if you will. And this is the number of linkages across social class. So one in two. Now, you see, if every second person is somebody of a different social class to you, then the ratio, high to low, in terms of obesity rates, is going to be extremely similar because infection, contagion, can happen very freely. You, don't have, you really don't have an effective barrier. If you, you don't have an effective social barrier to it. Um, if it's one in four, then the ratios start to change. Um, ran, running this from one in two to one in 20, uh, the numbers that came out, one, uh, one in six, seemed to be the most, this, the most similar number, if you will. So if you have one person in six among your friends who you would deem not to be of the same social class, then um, you are contagious um, with respect to males, both in 1971 to 74 and in 1999 to the year 2000. One in 12 explains females in the year 1971 to 74. Now, I'm open to speculation about why that number should be different. Um, what it suggests to me, at the very least, is that actually the way that women configure their social lives is quite different to the way that men configure their social lives. Um, but let's um, bring that up in the uh, in the in, 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 in the discussion. Second question: 
how, how socially contagious is obesity across gender. We know that when people get married, then body size characteristics start to assort to a degree, to a degree, but that's not a, the correlation is still, you know, a, a, fairly, a fairly loose one. Uh, running the same, the same procedure again using um, uh, running to obesity rates of 11% uh, for, for males and females, uh, what we find is that uh, the shortest path is five. That means five degrees of separation. Christophus model um, got to four degrees of separation. Um, this one comes to five, so that's, that's again, 4.4 degrees of separation. So a little bit higher than, than the others. But, but when, when you crunch these, these, these figures together, you end up with, with different kinds of, uh, different kinds of uh, uh, associations. Again, I'm willing this to be different patterns of obesity. And again, the Christakis model doesn't do those separations. But um, it would be useful to know whether... Um, obesity rates, differences in obesity rates between males and females um, can be attributed to um, different types of social association between males and females. This is entirely speculative, please, so uh, I'm open to, to any uh, and all um, suggestions as long as they're not jump out of that window now. I value my health. Um, similarly, if we take this up to the 2,000 rates of obesity, 31%, in the Christophus model, again, for uh, 1990, which is uh, when the, uh, the, the obesity rate in the Christophus model was 30%, um, we have a kind of core in the periphery. I wouldn't make any more out of it than that than saying, well, actually, there are different patterns of association that emerge from this. Um, Okay, can changing ratios of obesity prevalence across social and economic class and gender in the US be understood as small network phenomenon? Um, the obesity inequality ratio, that is the proportion of males to females between um, in 1999 to the year 2000, could be explained by social contagion if one friend in six is outside of one socioeconomic status group. Um, so far, this uh, sounds extremely speculative, but I'll come on to circumstances in which we might think about where um, this kind of setup exists. Um, during 1971, the, uh, 71 to 74, the model explains inequality ratio of one friend in six in males and one in 12 in females is outside one's SCS group. Um, I would also argue that the Framingham obesity network is, is engendered. So there's a lot more data in that data set than, than, has been, than has been examined thus far. So coming back to real life, um, <clears throat> what are the potential obesogenic environments in which people across social class can meet and interact? Uh, Boyd Swinburne um, has put together the obesogenic environment construct and um, we talked about this when I was in, in Melbourne with his group, and it's seemingly persuasive. Um, and obesogenic environments are, you know, common sense tells you that they are 
the things that are around us that persuade us to eat too much and not get enough physical activity straightforwardly. And all those structural things that make it easy um, to, uh, to be inactive and to, and to eat, overeat and to eat the wrong things, even with knowing all the right things. <coughs> now, the obesogenic environment construct has uh, focused very heavily on, on, on structural issues, um, that is, more macro-environmental issues of, you know, can you cycle to work or walk to work? Um, is the environment too dangerous? Do you have to take a car? Um, you know, when you come into work, what's the number of fast food outlets on the way to where you go? So when constructing everyday life, um, these are the things that you're faced with. And sometimes I wonder, I mean, uh, Neil Mann sitting at the back of the room who did his... PhD at uh, Deakin on the Geelong campus, and when you come towards the the the, uh, the Geelong campus of Deakin, which is where Boyd Swinburne was for a while, um, you have this strip land of fast food. There's no way you can walk that environment. There's no way you can cycle it. I, it with the best with the best will in the world, there's, there are there are big problems there. So you know, I can I can very easily see how when you see that on a day to day basis, that becomes the kind of social construct for the obesogenic environment. But there are other ways in which you might be able to think about it. Where do people meet and interact? Work, school, public transport, clubs and societies, community organisations, sporting events. Now, of course, all of these things are stratified to some extent. But the fact that you know at work. You will have work dues. You will meet and sit down and have your lunch in the same place. The fact that you are, you know, if you're, if you're a lab rat, um, a hard scientist, and you might have a PhD, you might have a Nobel Prize, but you'll go and sit and have your lunch with the technicians. It's just how it happens. That is how you, you know, how you work in teams. Many in many, in, many social, in, in many work contexts, this is, this is how, uh, how people behave and... Um, <coughs> people also meet on public transport where it's a, a major thing clubs and societies uh, where uh, often uh, cross social class boundaries and of course sporting events which takes us back to the MCG that's my son wearing an Australia hat very patriotic uh, at the G Melbourne Cricket Club there we have our what stroke gets model now What's that to do with the watts strogatz model? Um, well, two more pictures of the G. That is the member <coughs> of the country. If you zoom in, you can see people wearing ties. Australians wearing ties? But, of course, a certain social class of Australian wearing ties at the cricket. And then you cross to, the other, to another sector, where there's a bunch of the lads with their hats, Australian hats, and a few, few tinnies there. There's even the occasional woman in there. Uh, you could do a, a social class analysis of obesity just on the MCG, but the thing is that the ground is a Colosseum-like thing, and you can divide it in terms of, in terms of, in terms of a kind of social class gradient. But, but this is a porous social class uh, environment. People mix, and, you know... I don't know. I've only been to one baseball game, but ever in my life, and for me, it must be as confusing as cricket is to most of the Americans here. But what do you eat at a baseball game? Somebody, Adam, you're smiling. You got it. 
Okay, regardless of whether you're the Queen of England or you're or, or a regular Joe, yeah? Okay, okay. So the obesogenic environment, we know. High fat, palatable and fast foods. Well, you've got the Melbourne Cricket Ground where you have some of the finest athletes on the planet um, um, you know, playing their hearts out for their nation. Um, and they are incredible athletes, I have to say. I mean, they're you know, big and fit. And what is being sold around the ground? You know, there's burgers, there's fries, there's all the usual stuff, which is syndicated. Um, and decline in physical activity, because of course, you know, you're at the game. Your heart is with the game, with the people who are on the pitch, but you're not actually doing anything. You know, and some people actually embody themselves with, you know, and identify with the people who are who are doing these magnificent feats, but they're not actually doing anything. So, can we think about the obesogenic environment differently? Classically, it's by diffusion, so we have a structural explanation that we pass through these structures and these structures are the things that we fall victim to. Alternatively, can we think about the obesogenic environment as a social contagion model? And if we do, then we should be thinking about those points of intersection where social contagion can happen. Uh, that's probably all I want to say. Thank you. <laughs>